Hello everyone, I am Georgia Dillon, Senior Workplace Relations Consultant at VHIA and I'm joined by Madeline White, one of our Workplace Relations Consultants. Today we're delving into the world of alternative dispute resolution in the public health sector, focusing on our experiences with the first independent dispute resolution panel process under the Mental Health Agreement. Welcome Maddie. Thank you Georgia, it's great to be here as we explore where this process has come from, how it operates and the benefits and risks associated with it. Absolutely. So why don't we dive on in? Uh, so during the recent public health sector bargaining, unions sought an alternative dispute resolution process, leading to the creation of an independent dispute resolution panel. These panels issue binding determinations and the agreements with one of these clauses include the Mental Health Agreement, the Medical Scientist Agreement, the Allied Health Agreement and the Nurses Agreement. And we can put the clause references for those into the show notes. Despite different titles, they all centre around the creation of an independent dispute resolution panel. And today our focus is on the mental health agreement. So let's get into the nitty gritty of the panel. The alternative dispute resolution process allows employees to apply for a classification review by an independent panel. Yeah, so this comes into play when there's a dispute between employers and employees about the most appropriate classification or an underpayment. It starts with attempting local resolution following standard workplace dispute resolution procedures. Either an employee or an employer can apply and the panel comprising of a VHA and union nominees along with the chair, in this case it was Mr David Gregory, ex-Fair Work Commissioner, assesses whether the dispute falls within its scope. So ideally these hearings are conducted in person and they're to emphasise an inquisitorial procedure over an adversarial one. Important to note, the panel assesses the issue using available material and issues a written determination within 14 days that is in accordance with the agreement. This determination is binding unless a review is uh, requested. So before we go further, let's understand the difference between the adversarial and inquisitorial procedures that I referenced earlier. Yeah, absolutely. So an adversarial process common in courtrooms involves opposing parties presenting issues and oral evidence. Our inquisitorial procedures required by this clause focus on an investigation into the facts and documentary evidence. That's right. So essentially what we're talking about is that the IDRP should be conducted like an investigation into the dispute, relying on all the available documentary evidence. So let's get into the review process. There's no technical appeal uh, for the IDRP. Rather, VHAA or the relevant union can request a determination review by the Commission within 14 days. It's also important to note that employers can't apply for this determination review directly. It must come through VHAA. And likewise, if an employee wanted to uh, apply for a determination review, that would need to go through their relevant union. The Commission's role here is to determine if the panel's determination was properly reached. I also want to note that this process is yet to be fully tested in the Commission. Uh, we've just worked through the first case and it, and it ended up being resolved before we got a chance to, to really test what we're about to discuss. However, for now, this is VHIA's interpretation of the process in accordance with the IDRP clause. So firstly, it's essential to recognise that the Commission has very limited uh, jurisdiction when it comes to disputes brought to them under the review process of the IDRP clause. Uh, so now, when a party wants the Commission to review the panel's determination, it's confined by the operation of, of uh, determination review provisions within the IDRP clause. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. The Commission's power is very specific. It's tasked with determining whether the panel decision was properly reached. Once the dispute uh, progresses to arbitration, the powers of arbitration are bound by the application of Clause 23 of the, of the agreement. So in that case, we're obviously talking about the mental health agreement. And there are quite a few limitations to be aware of. So let's break them down. First, the Commission is confined to determining one question. Was the panel determination properly reached? Next, it is crucial to note that the, any determination by the Commission cannot set a precedent. Plus, it's final and cannot be appealed to the full bench of the Commission. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Maddie. Any compensation available to employees is capped at the date the classification review application was made to the panel. There's no power to award consent compensation outside this limitation within the jurisdiction of the Fair Work Commission. Also, the Commission must operate in accordance with an inquisitorial procedure rather than an adversarial one. This implies that that arbitration should primarily be conducted on the papers and not in the courtroom. Now, let's talk about what determinations the Commission is empowered to make under these provisions. The Commission's uh, choices are limited. They can either uphold the determination or decide it was improperly reached and substitute the determination. And all of this is within the confines of the information and resources available that were available to the panel. The Commission, in a way, stands in the shoes of the panel to, in determining whether the panel's decision was properly reached. Maddie, what can we expect as outcomes of the review process? Yeah, so the Commission can either uphold the panel's determination or decide it was improperly reached and substitute it. That's right. These outcomes directly impact the employee's classification and potential back pay. They can either keep the classification determined by the panel, which if higher than the existing classification will necessarily require back pay, or they may see no change to the classification, or it's even possible that the classification might be different again. If, if the determined classification results in a reduced rate, it's important to note that there are salary maintenance provisions in the clause. So what about back pay? We referenced that a bit earlier. Uh, what are the associated risks with this? So VHA's view is that the risks with back pay are limited as the classification change takes effect only from the date of application to the panel, assuming there's an increase. <laughs> but there's a risk of underpayment claims. Unions suggest Fair Work Act Section 545 may apply, but this would have to be a separate claim as, a as this section falls within the civil remedy provisions of the Act and the federal court system jurisdiction. Yeah, that's right, Maddie. Any underpayment claim would likely be made on the basis that the, that the employee was awarded the higher classification and therefore the employer must have misclassified the position, which would therefore create an underpayment in accordance with the Fair Work Act. It is worth noting that the risk is no greater should the respondent be awarded the higher classification by the commission than by the panel unless the commission were to award a higher classification than the panel. Either way, the respondent may choose to commence underpayment proceedings through the federal court system. Yeah, that's right, Maddie. I think it's important to note that any application alleging an underpayment through the federal court system will obviously be subject to judicial determination. Therefore, no one at BHIA or anyone else except the judges can say whether or not a claim like this would get up. Um, it's not something that's been tested to our knowledge. Uh, the courts will then will obviously determine whether an underpayment occurred and make orders of any liability incurred by the employer. Um, a finding that an underpayment occurred may lead to additional penalties being imposed by the courts in accordance with the relevant sections of the Act. So given these risks, how can they be mitigated? I think it, it'll be unsurprising to our members, but the most effective way to mitigate these sort of risks is through a settlement agreement. Um, a settlement agreement, 
agreement can really include any terms that you think are necessary, but but the mitigating terms could be um, the requirement to renegotiate the terms of employment, limiting uh, terms limiting future litigation, and terms specifying conditions regarding classifications and underpayments. So thank you all for joining us on this episode of the VHAA podcast. We hope you found this an interesting deep dive into the IDRP determination review process, noting, of course, that until this is tested, this is all sort of our um, our best interpretation of how this how this will operate. Thanks, Georgia, for taking us through that. Thank you.